Okay, welcome to Rich and Relationship. Are we live? Sorry that I'm late. I think we are live. I'm going to assume that we're live. So welcome to Rich and Relationship. And we are going to take off from where we started last week. Last week, we were talking about what's happening here in our culture. And I'm just bouncing around here because somebody sent me a friend request. They wanted to see this. Last week, we were talking about the relationship between conflict, culture, and change. And in a nutshell, what we identified last week was that we're all the product of our culture. We all are raised in, drink, breathe in the same soup is what I called it last week. But this week, we're gonna call it a river because soup sounds like it never changes, like nothing ever goes in it. A river is something that flows and has constant movement. So here we all are in this river of American culture. And there's all kinds of things in this culture which marks us, flavors us, taints us even. And the good news is, we change the river as much as it changes us was the punchline. And the evidence of that was that we could see the ideal versus reality and we could identify, we can identify the influences of culture on who we are. And what that says is there's something in us that's bigger than the culture. There's, I declared in last week, I said, I am a child of truth. I'm a child of love and a child of justice. That's who I am. And yeah, I may have this stuff on me from being in this culture, but that is not who I am. That's stuff that I can shed. And I can shed it because I see it. I can shed it because I recognize it. I can shed it because I can see that true identity and declare that that is my identity. And I, at the end of the talk last week was that we can all do that, that we all have that ability. So when we reach this point where we see the difference between who we are, who we declare ourselves to be as human beings, and then the cultural influences that we want to embrace and the ones we want to shed, when we reach this point, we begin to own that we can shift the culture because we can shift ourselves. We begin to own that change can happen. And so the big question is, how do we make change happen? And that's kind of what's, what's buzzing around our culture right now. How do we change a culture that has looked the other way at racial inequality and police brutality? How do we shift a culture that allows such inequality? How do we change it? So it's one thing to think our way through it and another to feel our way through it. We, and what happens very often in these situations is we go to this place of, we gotta get daddy to fix this, right? We gotta go to the federal, the federal government's gotta fix this. And we go to a place of blame. The police department's got to change. I, you know, uh, people of lighter skin tone who were raised in the Northeast and educated love to say this. Oh, I'm not racist. It's not me. It's the institutions. As if that were enough. But whatever you are, if you're benefiting, whether you're 
of a, a darker skin, skin tone and super rich or whatever, if you're benefiting from the way things are, in some way you're contributing to it, right? If you're eating on that food chain, in some way you're supporting it. And in order for us to change that, whether we're the recipients of inequality or whether we're benefiting from it, if we really wanna change it, if we're really going to embrace that person that's truth and justice and love, that brotherhood that we all share and our fellowship that we all share and we gotta be willing to get our hands dirty. We've gotta be willing to clean out the cultural sediment that has settled into our consciousness and our institutions. The only way that effective change can happen is if first we're willing to cleanse ourselves and second we're willing to cleanse the institutions. And part of the problem is that we get used to this stuff. Um, this morning, I got up this morning and I said to my wife, oh, Daisy smells so much better today. And she said, are you nuts? She still smells like poop, like our dog has been swimming in the mud. And so what that told me is sometimes we get used to things being a certain way. It just seems okay. You get acclimated to the smell of poop. If you sit in poop long enough, you get acclimated to it. And that's kind of what happened until in the last couple of weeks, everything exploded. And we said, oh my God, we're covered in poop. We got to do something about this. So how cool is it that we noticed that we're in it? All right, so culture is an organic living thing. Elements like race and class, these are like lenses that we examine our culture through or, or uh, gender. These are all lenses that we're examining the culture in, but the culture itself is holistic. We can look at it through the lens of race. We can look at it through the lens of class or any other lens we choose to look at. But that's not going to identify the whole culture. It's going to identify qualities of the culture. It's as if you were looking at a human body and you decided you were only going to study blood. So I'm only going to, the problem is blood. But we know that in the human body, if there's a problem in blood, there's probably a problem in whatever produces the blood. Or if the blood hasn't got enough oxygen, it's not the problem with the blood, it's a problem with the lungs. Well, you know, we know that it's, culture is alive like a body, it's holistic. So we can look at it through these different lenses and it's helpful too. But if we're gonna change it, we need to look at it through multiple lenses. Part of what makes racism so confusing is there are other conflicts wrapped up in it. We see the obvious evidence of racism and we all react to the ongoing evidence of racism in our culture with anger and loathing even, especially when we see incidents like someone being suffocated to get to death, suffocated to death. I can't even talk about it. Like it, I can just feel it when, I, when I think about this incident, I just get all tight on the inside. It's just, I can't believe that this happened in my country. I can't believe this happened in a place where I live because I am not that. How could this happen? And yet, if it happened in my space, in some way, it is me. All right, we gotta get that. There isn't anything another human being has done that each and every one of us is not capable of. And when we get, when we manifest those feelings as blame, oh, it's the police, they're so screwed up. Or, you know, the president is a racist and so are his supporters. Or, I'm not a racist, but they are. That's when we start to disassociate ourselves from the reality that if we grew up in this culture, what's in it is part of who we are. No matter what skin tone you have, what's in this culture is within us. No matter how much money you do or do not have, what's in this culture is within us. Pointing the finger is just a way of deflecting responsibility. So think of culture as a river, like I said earlier. Think about the Hudson River. You know, there was a time when the Hudson was so polluted with PCBs you could not swim in it. 
I went to school in Poughkeepsie and a really good friend of mine decided he was gonna get back to nature. He was gonna swim in the Hudson River. This was back in the early 80s. And he went in, Cliff went into the water and he went swimming and, he, and nobody else would go in. We were, everyone else was like, dude, dude, this river is toxic. He's like, no, it's a river. And he came out and he had this huge boil on his shoulder that he didn't have when he went in. Like he came into contact with something in that river that was so toxic that his skin just boiled. The evidence was so clear. And right now we're going through that same thing in our culture. There's this huge blister. The evidence is so clear that, of the toxicity. But keep in mind that the Hudson has had an amazing recovery. And I mean, today, if you caught a fish in the Hudson, you could eat it. You could even swim in it and not get a boil on your shoulder. Now, I wouldn't eat the fish every day. In fact, they advise not to, but you could eat it every now and then. So what that tells us is the Hudson's not like super clean, but it's a heck of a lot better than it was in the 80s. And you know, when we look at our history, this nation, when it was founded, permitted slavery. I mean, it was like the Hudson in the 80s. How toxic is it for one human being to enslave another and to benefit from that person's slavery? The United States was born with a tension between the ideal and basically the survival mind of the world, I'm going to call it. Our survival mind tells us that when it comes to me and mine, anything goes. When we look at the world as a place of limited resources, when we see it as limited resources, it drives the belief that only the best and the strongest can survive. And we engage in our survival mind when we go down that road. Uh, and when the best and the strongest can survive, it means I'm gonna push out anything unlike me. And then the question becomes, what's unlike me? And in survival mind, by the way, anything can be unlike me. In war, for example, it's really easy to call the Germans krauts and think them as inhuman and so many of the things could be considered inhuman except they were totally human it was easier even to call the japanese nips and see them as completely different but the reality is that there weren't really any different than we were in fact we brought all those nazi scientists back here and we brought nazism right back into this country because there were elements of that that was that resonated with us and we're struggling with the outpouring of that today that thought that there's not enough so i need to ensure my line my clan my race my people or my class so that my group will overcome at the expense of others need be that is truly dangerous and insidious thinking and that is what the world is about that is a limited survival mindset some people call it a scarcity mindset and when we get into that mindset it just, it opens the door for justifying greed, lust, pride, envy, anything like that. And when we're in that mindset, we'll cut up us and them any way that suits us, right? I mean, race is convenient because you can see a difference in tonality, super convenient, but we can do it financially. In fact, there's a huge financial rift in this country. And we'll talk about that more later. So the ideal, the I am, truth, I am justice, I am love. This is completely separate from that. And this country was founded on an ideal. So you could say that the ideal that I identify in myself was planted in me by the culture, though I choose to believe there's a connection to something much wider than the culture, something greater, something universal that I choose to call God. You, you can call it whatever you want. This is right, my choice. 
And why is it my choice? Because when we declared our independence, there were four basic principles. One was that all men are created equal. All men and women, or genders, all humans are created equal. And of course, I love that word created. Some people may not. You can change that to all people are, are equal if that suits you. But the principle is core. We are all equal. And that means that if we start slipping into that survival mind, we can't afford to view people as less than us and therefore step, steppable. Principle two, all people share in the same irrevocable rights, which comes off of that comment I just made. Everyone has the same rights. If we're all equal, we all have the same rights, whatever they are, whatever they may be. And there's a lot of argument about what the rights are and people's rights are. And the idea of rights evolves, but we all have rights to, this, to the same opportunities at the very least. Here's the third one, really important. The source of governmental power is from the people. The federal government, the state government, they have power because we give it to them. We can't wait for them to rescue us, nor can we allow them to tell us how to live unless it represents truth for us. Four, the people have the right to alter or abolish the government when these rights are not protected. And that's kind of where we are right now. It is super clear that our rights are not protected. And let me tell you that if an African-American can be suffocated to death by police brutality, anyone can, all right? Yet that this may be framed in a racist way, and it may have been a completely racist act, but it could just be that that particular police officer, whenever he sees us and them, however he cuts it up, goes to that kind of violence, that kind of physical intensity. It could be, or it could be that he's been shot at so many times or attacked so many times that in his own fear, he protects himself by acting that way. We don't really know what happened with him, but we know that what he did is an infringement of our rights, our rights to live, our rights to breathe. And we know that's, that's what's triggered all this good stuff. And it is good stuff, don't get me wrong. I mean, the feeling sucks. And that tightness I felt earlier when I couldn't even talk about George Floyd and what happened to him, that, that's not so good. But the opportunity that's coming out of it, that's good. So with the unparalleled recognition of our polluted culture, we are at a historic flashpoint between our own fear, anger, and selfishness and the ideals upon which our nation declared its freedom and began. Get this, historic flashpoint, what we do here decides so much for us as a nation. And even in the eyes of the world where there's so much protesting and sympathetic action going on. So this is really exciting. I mean, it's, it's an exciting opportunity. It's terrifying, it's painful, it sucks, but we have this huge opportunity to change ourselves, to change, make cha drive change in our families, drive change in our communities, drive change in our governments and institutions. And we won't succeed unless we shift and change our culture. We, if we just go after the police and say, those SOBs need to change, it's not gonna work. The change needs to resonate through all of us, through everything. So let's just, before we get to how to make that change, I just wanna jump back to a useful perspective on cultural change. There is a perspective that there are two basic dynamics under all cultural conflicts. And 
these have been framed as independence and interdependence. I would frame them actually as independence and dependence, with interdependence being the meeting point. Where does interdependence really show up? In their book, Eight Cultural Conflicts That Make Us Who We Are, Hazel Marcus and Alana Connor identify eight areas of conflict that have this dynamic in it. So there's racial, right? The white versus color. There's men versus women, wealthy versus poor, liberalism versus conservatism, the East versus the West, the coasts versus the heartland, business versus not-for-profit. They say not-for-profit in government, but I would separate government from not-for-profit. Actually, you could even say business versus government and include not-for-profit in the business, depending on how you frame it. Northern hemisphere, North America versus South America, Europe versus Africa, um, Asia versus uh, South Asia, however you want to look at it. You could add to that the North and the South in the United States, which still has differences, which are surreal. If you go live in the South, you'll, you'll learn about this. Government versus the individual. How about, this isn't on my list, how about the federal government versus the state government? Higher education versus high school education, local versus global, capitalism versus socialism. All of these have this tension between independence and dependence with some form of inter interdependence being the compromise. So I'm gonna break away from their definition of independence and interdependence and go with in interdependence as the middle ground. So the truth is that Marcus and Connor wrap those other categories, those other categories I mentioned into their eight primary ones, but this is not a book review. I just wanna bring in this idea that the, at the core is the battle of, I am independent and do whatever the hell I want versus I am part of a larger group and I'm dependent on the group or the group is dependent on me or, or interdependence being the middle ground. I want to bring that concept in because it's really key. Because like when you look at welfare, welfare was created to uplift people who are really struggling. But today, uh, many of the wealthy look at welfare as a way for the poor to feed off the rich. They're dependent on welfare and the rich are feeding it. So this, this is actually a really valuable idea, a bigger lens. And when you take it, these multi, take that lens, it, it, you can see it's, it underpins flashpoints like racism, sexism, classism, any ism you can think of is inter, intertwined in our culture. And that dependence versus independence is, is sort of at the heart of it. So in cleaning the Hudson, it was not enough to stop dumping industrial, industrial waste into the river. Like actions needed to be taken on so many fronts to clean up its health. They scooped silt off the bottom. They uh, restored missing biology that had been wiped out. By the same token, fixing the police department is not gonna fix this problem, right? If we, if, like the police department are just dumping into the culture or fixing any single aspect isn't going to fix this. And when you look at it, what we're all protesting about is way more than racism. What we're protesting about embodies the whole culture. And we can't really change the police department until we change the whole culture. You could make the police department the paragon of virtue, but the police are members of the wider culture. And if the wider culture doesn't shift, they can't really shift either. And so right now, they look at it as they're going to look at change within the police department alone as being, why are they picking on us? What about them? They're blaming us. But when we shift the whole culture, we show that we're all willing to change.
let's not forget that the core concept of independence versus dependence is, is in here, right? The police department wants to be independent and they, and, and they want to maintain other people's independence. And at the same time, we're forcing them to be, actually interdependence maybe does it, we're forcing them to be interdependent in a way that they don't want to. All right, so we all recognize that the balancing of these ideas is key of independence and interdependence or dependence is key in ourselves and our families, right? If we are overly dependent, it's frowned on. If we're completely independent, it's usually at the expense of others and also frowned on. There's a balance in there somewhere. In all of the changes we make as individuals and as culture, there's gonna to need to be a balance between these two qualities. We can't afford to take the position that one person, one group or one institution is to blame. We have to own that we're all interdependent, that we're part of the same culture and that we created this. We have the president that we have, why? Because we have allowed it. We have police brutality, why? And if this isn't a, a, an isolated incident, it's been going on for decades because we bred a culture in which violence is viewed as a consistent and effective solution to problems. We have a culture of inequality on multiple fronts and the reason is that we see race as being the most obvious, but we allow it. We allow financial inequality. We allow racial inequality. We allow uh, this sort of strange gender jockeying that's going on right now. We allow it. At the heart of that permission is the wish, hope, desire that the government's gonna fix it. But again, the government's not gonna fix it unless we drive them to, unless we drive that change unless we work, the government is us, we are the government, they represent us. We may not like what we see in the government right now, but we get to change it. We are dependent from and independent at the same time with the government. We are dependent and independent, we are dependent and interdependent and independent from and with one another all at the same time. All that exists at the same time. We're all swimming in the same water together. And addressing the inequalities and flashpoints of our culture means changing not only ourselves and the structure of the police, but also equipping those who have less opportunity and find themselves literally under the heel of the culture to have greater opportunity. Well, that sounds really good. What the heck does that mean? What does it mean for every human being in our nation to be recognized as equal and to, have the, to literally have the same rights, not just verbally have the same rights? What does it mean? How do we get there? We get there by crossing lines. You know, we started out shipping African-Americans into schools where whites were and vice versa. So we had mixed schools and now we have mixed schools, but now we've got poor neighborhoods and rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods have more people of color and rich people, neighborhoods have less people of color. That's whether it's a, that's a class issue and a race issue. We've got, the wealthy who are extremely isolated from the very poor. We've got so much division and we've got a military that's we're proud of. We're proud that it's an all volunteer military, but who volunteers to be in the military? Do billionaires and millionaires have kids who go to the military? Almost never. The military is primarily made up of what we call the underclass people who have less finances and less educational opportunity. In fact, if you look at the educational spread in this country, 30% of the families in this country are college educated and 70% are not. And that's right in alignment with where the money is. The families that are college educated have a greater sense of independence 
not necessarily no interdependence, but they have more independence and freedoms in some way than the 70% who aren't college educated. So the starting point has to happen with crossing these lines. It has to start with first raising the level of education in this country. This country has fallen to like below 17th in the world in terms of education. I didn't even look it up. That was the last time I looked. It may be 34th now. And yet we expect to be competitive with other countries. And because we have such poorly educated people in our country compared to the rest of the world, we seem to also have a higher level of cultural violence. We seem to also have higher levels of active racism at the very least. And our institutions seem to be less in alignment. What if, and now I'm gonna just start brainstorming, and my eyes, ideas may be completely turgid, but they're my ideas and you're entitled to yours, but we need to brainstorm like this. What if the federal government or the state government or the federal and state were to get together and raise the level of education in public schools, spend as much in public schools or more in public schools so that the education were as high as any other school system in the world? What if we were to examine this system of testing and grading that we have now and see what's missing culturally in that from giving the right answer, just giving the right answer? How do we develop ourselves as creative human beings? How do we develop ourselves as whole and complete human beings? What if the education system supported each child mentally, physically, and spiritually without shoving any particular faith down their throat? Though I certainly have ideas about what faith I'd like. It's my faith and you have your faith. So just a concept of what spirituality means in terms of connection to other people. Let's, let's just talk about spirituality as connection to others, connection to nature, connection to others. At the very least, we can identify it as that. What if we had a sense of ecology, of the interdependence of all things on this planet? What if we had that kind of education system and what would you build from there? What if instead of going to church in your own community, you went to church in another community? Or instead of going to synagogue in your community, you went to an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian synagogue. What if we started crossing lines like that? What if you had so much money that you could have people serve you that every now and then you went and had the experience of serving others in a soup kitchen? What if you had such, such successful children that you decided maybe you could be, go be a brother, a big brother and a big sister in some place where a neighborhood where there's a single parent family struggling to take care of their children and struggling to be there for their children. What if we did those things? What if uh, the military was a required one year stint, but uh, going with early President Clinton, we had the opportunity to do Peace Corps or even internal Peace Corps within our country. What if we did, we had a choice to do public service. If it was a demand to do public service in our country for one year, and you could choose whether you're gonna be in the army, the Navy, the Peace Corps, or the neighborhood support, whatever that's, we're gonna call that. What if, and these may be horrible ideas, but it's gonna take brainstorming ideas like this to start crossing these lines. This has been the longest 15 minute lunch and learn ever. It's been a half hour. I am sorry that I've gone on and on and on, but the point is, number one, our culture has failed and will continue to fail as long as we're human beings to stand up to our ideals. But those principles, those ideals that our country was founded on are there so that we can pull ourselves up and pull ourselves up. Not so that we can just earn money and have a good living and hope that our kids live a better life. 
our kids won't live a better life unless we pull ourselves up and teach them to pull ourselves up, number one. Number two, we actively need to be applying those principles to ourselves as individuals and to our families and to our communities and to our country at large and perhaps to our country in relationship to other countries. And number three, the only way that we can do that is by coming together and looking at where are the disparities and how can we as individuals get engaged in those disparities? How can we as a community get engaged in, the, get engaged in those disparities? And how can we institutionally get engaged in those disparities? That to blame the police and make, say they've got to be changed alone is not going to work. It hasn't worked in the past and it's not going to work now. Change needs to be universal. And so with that, I am going to finally shut my trap Let's see if I can close out of Facebook. I guess I can't, so I'm going to go to Zoom and I'm going to end this. Um, hit me with whatever you got via direct message, and thank you so much.